0: All right. I, I hope I'm centered in this. Uh, it drives me nuts thinking about I might not be perfectly centered either in the parking lot or in the the pillars. But um, it's really weird hearing myself in these speakers. Uh, I know I haven't had a whole lot of opportunity at this point, just because of the outdoor services and the the kind of the format that we have to even speak with all of you. But um, I do miss everyone. I I miss I miss being inside and. Uh, being able to shake everybody's hands and all that kind of stuff. So I do miss all of you. Um, It's nice to see your face and talk in the parking lot, but um, I do miss what it was like being inside. But we'll be there soon. And actually, uh, the elders are going to talk more about that tomorrow um, and try to get a date set um, here soon when we do plan to be back inside. So be looking uh, for some updates regarding that. Something you can go ahead and start doing before I get started is uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 9 and starting, well I'm actually going to be referring back before this, but the part we'll be reading starts in verse 14. Uh, So Mark chapter 9 verse 14. I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but today um, is actually flag day. So before we get started, I do want to, I want to pray before I I, uh, speak, but I also do want to pray just for our nation. I want to pray for Um, those that are in leadership, that God would give them wisdom um, in how to lead this country. And I do pray that that God would lead them to Him. Can you guys hear me? Oh, (laughs) not sure what happened there. Um, But anyway, so if you would pray with me um, before we get started. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the weather that we've I want to say lucky to have, but God, I thank you that you've arranged the weather so that while we are outside, we've we've been, it's been awesome. It's been awesome to be out in the sunshine and uh, have this nice weather, so thank you for that this morning, and God, I thank you for, I thank you for this country. Um, God, I I know that it's not perfect, but I pray that you would continue to draw our leaders uh, towards you. I pray that their hearts are softened and that they um, actually submit to what you would have them to do, the decisions they would uh, make and, and the changes that need to be made in this country. God, I pray that you would continue to lead them and, and draw them to yourself. But I thank you for this, this freedom that we have this morning to even worship outside freely and really not be in much fear of any uh, type of persecution and God, before I speak this morning, I pray that you would give me the words to speak. And I, I do trust that um, you've been leading me along ahead of time uh, to speak this. Um, and I just pray that I wouldn't get in the way, but that you would um, share your truth through me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So to give you a little bit of background on Mark chapter 9, and I appreciate Mark's writing style because I feel like Mark's writing style is similar to my preaching style. It's a little bit shorter a little bit more to the point and and we're done. But this section in particular, Mark provides more details than the other gospels. So where the other gospels do um, record this event, they don't give as many details. Uh, so what has happened so far is that up till chapter nine of Mark, they've been trying to answer the question of, of who is Christ. And you guys probably know um, the scripture where it says, you know, who do you say I am? And finally, Peter answered, you are the Christ. And that's kind of the turning point of this book is that Peter and uh, the truth has been set that you are the Christ. So everything from then on is flowing from that truth. Uh, so right before the interaction that we're going to read, where it's actually a father um, whose son is possessed. Um, Jesus was on a mountaintop with his inner circle, which was Peter, James, and John. What happened on this mountaintop was that Jesus actually transfigured himself to show his inner circle his glory. He actually, uh, his glory shone through his clothes and was radiant uh, so that when they woke up, they saw a side of Jesus that no one else had saw at that point. I imagine many of you know that story. I imagine many of you know what happened. Those three were the ones that he chose to be a part of something that no other humans could see. And actually, I got stuck on this for a little bit, I, as, and I'm preparing for the message, and this isn't even part of the, the scripture that I was focusing on. It's important to know what happened beforehand um, so you can kind of get a better context, but I kept getting stuck on that one part, the fact that one, Jesus had an inner circle. He had 12 disciples, but he had three that he was closest with. He had three that he showed a side of him that no others um, got to see. I don't know if there's a whole lot of theology there. I'm not sure of that, but it got me thinking the fact that we need to be wise about who we let see every single side of us or every vulnerable place of ourselves. There's nothing wrong with opening up yourself to only a few select people That you've built a relationship with and trust with. So that part had had really little to do with the sermon, um, but it was just a a part to kind of give you some context that they were on the mountaintop with Jesus, um, and they actually were able to see a part of him that nobody else got to see. And then verses 9 through 10 of Mark 9, Jesus is walking back down the mountain with his disciples where they just had this mountaintop experience. Has anybody ever heard that phrase, mountaintop experience, regarding like church and maybe church camp, if you went to church camp as a kid. Um, I see a few shaking heads. So some of you have heard that phrase, mountaintop experience. This is where that comes from, the fact that they were with Jesus. They got to experience Jesus in a way that they had not before. And you might have those, those experiences yourself, whether that be um, in church, out of church, you experienced Jesus in a different way, and you had a mountaintop experience. When Cassie and I were dating, uh, I think it was a I could be wrong on the dates, but it was like a uh, summer or two after we started dating, we started going to Cedar Point uh, quite a bit. We would go probably once a week up to Cedar Point. I'm not sure why, um, because before that, and I actually bought the season tickets, which I'm not sure why I did that either. I had not, rode. I have probably told the story, but I have not. I did not ride any roller coasters. That was not something I did. I actually, I would get sick out of the Richland Fair riding like the Gravitron um, in the zipper. So the, the thought of being on, like, the Millennium Force or something like that scared me to death. So for some reason, I decided to buy season tickets uh, for us. And I remember the first time standing in line for the Millennium Force, I had doubts in my mind that we were going to survive this, this uh, ride. I had doubts in my mind that I wouldn't puke on this ride or puke right after that. And as we went through and I got off, I kept thinking about what just happened. And that was, in, in a less biblical way, that was a mountaintop experience for me. I, I experienced something I had never experienced before. I had my doubts going into it, but I survived it. While I was in youth group, uh, we would go to church camp at Pleasant Valley Ranch. And we had a great time. And actually, as low budget as... Uneducated that it probably was, we had a great time at church camp as a kid um, down by Pleasant Hill. And as actually many of us um, students that made decisions for Christ there that impacted myself, impacted other people that honestly probably impacted hundreds and maybe thousands of more people because of what we called a mountaintop experience. We separated ourselves away from the world during church camp. And we were in such communication with Christ that it was a mountaintop experience in a way. So maybe some of you have had some mountaintop experiences. That's what Peter, James, and John were thinking as they're walking down this hill, that they just had this experience and they, they couldn't stop thinking about it. They couldn't stop thinking about what just happened. But they were soon... They were soon shown the reality of the world that we lived in. And then even these men, Peter, James, and John, who were so certain of who Jesus was because they saw his glory, they saw him transfigured, these were the same men who later on would deny that they even knew him. They would sometimes be tested. But now they're walking back down the mountain. I want to start at verse 14, so if you would read along with me. Uh, My version may be a little bit different than yours. I'm reading out of the uh, Christian Standard Bible. It says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. And he asked them, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, What are you arguing with them about? And then someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive him out, but they couldn't. And he replied to them, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples again, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. You can imagine at this point in time where Jesus doesn't have a whole lot of time left on earth, he wants to make sure that those disciples know how to continue on the ministry, Jesus' ministry, when He's gone. So as those days get closer and closer, that reality of what are they going to do when I'm gone is becoming more and more dire to Him. So when they couldn't do it, He says, bring them to Me. So they brought the boy to Him, and when the Spirit saw Him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus said to the father, how long has this been happening to him? You've got to understand that Jesus was not asking the father just for the, the reason of getting information, to get more data, to figure out how to solve this problem. The reason Jesus was asking this was because he's beginning to build a relationship with his father. And the father said, from childhood, he said, and many times it's thrown him into fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. And then verse 24 is kind of where the basis of this message came from. Um, it says, immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now That sounds like a contradiction, but we'll learn more about that. And then to finish this up in verses 25 to 29, it says, When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, He's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he said to them, this can come out by nothing but prayer. So the topic that I'm I'm going to try to share some truth with you is the topic of doubt. If If we were honest, a lot of us would probably say that we've had a lot of doubts along the way. Maybe we have a lot of doubts even right now as you're sitting here. The definition of doubt is a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. So to share a little bit more context on the story of the uh, father and the son, his statement, um, I do believe, help my unbelief, is something that a lot of us could probably relate to if we think about it. I often think about it myself. I think about it all the times... Um, that I've had or, or have doubts. If I'm going to be honest with you, just know that there's times where I have to question things that I believe, whether they were wrong, or maybe they're just something I've never been totally convicted about. Maybe I just believed it because somebody said that, or maybe I heard a preacher say it at one point. But there's times, even as a person who is technically on staff as a pastor, I still begin to question things, and and I have to have those answered. So when I I was younger, I believed in uh, things most would call fake, and a few of you will laugh at this. A few of you may still believe in them, I don't know. Um, Besides the normal stuff, and I won't get into the holiday things, um, but I, I believed in things like Bigfoot. I believed that he was real. I believed in monsters, and I even believed that wrestling was real. But as I got older, I began to have doubts about those things. I began to have doubts that there was really a monster underneath my bed. I began to have doubts that there was a monster in my closet or at the bottom of the steps to the basement. I began to have doubts about Bigfoot. I'm I'm actually not too sure about that one still. Uh, I need to research that one some more. But then, believe it or not, I began to have doubts that Hulk Hogan's leg drop actually hurt anyone. So there were things that, as a kid, I had, I had faith in, I had belief in that they were real. I actually believed that I was a Power Ranger at one point and would beat up the other kids at the bus stop because I thought I could do the karate and stuff. So there was a time when I, had, I was so sure that these things were real, but I began to have doubts. Um, the doubts like that, obviously, that's that's not nearly as serious. It's kind of, um, kind of a joke. But those same things, those same doubts, just like that, happen on the things that are more serious. They happen with things um, like your faith. They begin to happen with relationships, family, news sources. As a young adult, I began to question my faith in general. Um, I was convinced there was a God. I actually... I believed that there was a God even when I questioned so many things beyond that. I believed I was created by Him. And, but I began to question things like, was I really saved if I just prayed the sinner's prayer? I began to question, what is sin anyway? Is there a list of do's and don'ts? Did God still have interest in using me in ministry because I didn't have a home church? And there's many things I probably be- could have listed, but I began to question many things. It required me to search those things out, search those answers, and I didn't dismiss them and just get over it. I actually had to find out for myself what those answers were. I don't have all the answers, uh, but my doubts have led me to a stronger faith um, I had as a teenager and a younger a younger adult. Am I still a young adult? I'm not sure. Jesus had a difficult situation in this story. He had a father who who desperately wants his son healed. As parents, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this. If you had a child, son or daughter, it doesn't matter, who had something wrong with them, you would go to any length you had to to figure out the answers. If one doctor couldn't give you an answer, you'd go to the next one. And you would not stop until you had the answer. So I'm sure you can relate to this this father who the son, he said, had had this demon possession since he was a child. And it wasn't just that. It was a, an influence, but this demon was trying to kill him. It says it was trying to throw him into bodies of water and into fire. So I can't imagine what this father was going through to try to find the answers of, of what's going on and how to get rid of this demon. Thankfully, our kids have been very healthy. Um, but I, we did have a, a little scare, um, probably, I think it was right around New Year's, um, with Reagan. She had a breathing issue, and, and she sounded like she had a cold for a few days. Um, but we called the doctor, and they would ask, does it look like her chest is sinking in when she's breathing? And at that time, it did. It was like her body was struggling to get air. And the, just hearing Cassie call me and tell me that, it put me into an immediate mode of this has to be fixed. We, we, we're going right now to the ER, and we're going to have the doctors look at her. Look at her. So in, in one way, I can relate, and I think a lot of you parents can relate, that if your child, if something is wrong with them, you want it fixed right away. This, this da, dad has been doing it since his childhood, and he gets another opportunity, another doctor who may have an answer when he sees Jesus coming his way. The disciples who can't drive out the demon and scribes who don't seem to want to, that has to be frustrating. Like I said, Jesus knows his days are short and he wants his disciples to be able to continue on this ministry. So here comes Jesus who was someone that was known for healing people. That was actually one of the main things Jesus did uh, while he was here on earth as a ministry is he would go around healing people. And a lot of times he would do it in a way that not a lot of people would see him do it. He would do it in smaller crowds and smaller settings. So Jesus has a reputation for healing people, and he makes his way into the crowd. So after so many failed attempts to have his son healed, he, you could probably imagine that he probably had some doubts that Jesus was going to be able to do this too. He's heard that he's been able to heal other people, but he's never witnessed it himself. He wants to believe that Jesus is this one doctor, this one healer that is finally going to bring healing to his son. So I hope this is starting to, to make sense to you, the fact that this, this son was sick, his dad is desperate for someone to heal him, and he truly, with all of his heart, wants to believe that Jesus is that person who's going to heal him, but he wasn't sure about it. There's a difference between our head knowledge and truly trusting God. Uh, Sam quoted it last week, but there's the A.W. AW Tozer quote um, that the devil is the best theologian. He's a better theologian than myself, Sam, any of you here. He knows the scriptures better than any of us, but he's still a devil. And while I'm not calling you guys a devil, um, but there is a difference between knowing the scripture and truly trusting God. There are things we know intellectually, but we struggle to believe personally. Some of those things we might experience, and this could be some of you, um, for instance, like career paths. We believe that God has a purpose for each one of us. We believe that God is going to use us in the skills that he's given us and the passions that he's given us. But sometimes our career paths don't mirror what we think should be happening, whether that means we lose a job Uh, because of a pandemic, or maybe we lose a job because of just uh, companies going to different countries. You can see how that would be an easy way to begin to doubt, is God really using me in this way? Because it sure doesn't look like it. I'll say personally, um, one of the areas that I've struggled with is the teaching on healing. I've studied this a lot, especially in the past few months. for the, our district with the uh, Christian Missionary Alliance, one of the core beliefs is that Jesus is our healer. But I don't recount a whole lot of times of seeing somebody immediately healed. But then I realize that Jesus doesn't always work like that either. Sometimes, it's, sometimes it is immediately healing. There are times where it's a slow heal. And there are some times where there is a whole, complete healing and, and that person ends up Um, in the presence of Christ, completely healed. Forgiveness. Maybe some of you believe that Jesus forgives us. You believe that God is a forgiving God. But maybe you think, uh, but I don't don't know if He's going to forgive me of this sin that I've committed or uh, this thing that I've had problems with for years and years. I believe He forgives people, but I'm not sure if He really forgives me. And then... Maybe you have doubts that God is really in control of this world when we see the chaos that it's in. When we see people killed and um, people enslaved, and I'm not talking about just America, but the, the world in general. All I'm saying is there is a difference between head knowledge and truly trusting God. There are times and likely many times that our head knowledge does transfer to trust, though. I actually have three points that we're going to go through quickly, um, and then I have a—it's not really a challenge, but more something I, I would encourage you to do. Um, it's something that I've had to do uh, repeatedly. It's not just something I did as a young adult, but it's something I got to do all the time. The first one is that Jesus cares about you. That was the one of the first things that stuck out to me about the story—is His response to the dad, his response to the father who was in pain and anguish over his son, he immediately began to build a relationship with the father. He asked the question of how long has this boy had this demon? And again, it wasn't for information. It was just for his compassion. And Jesus is the same way with each and every one of you. He's not just a genie that grants your wishes. He would rather have a relationship with you. The second is be honest. We see that this father came to Jesus totally honest. He had no reason to act like he was a follower of Jesus at this point. He's tried probably many different um, religious leaders. He probably uh, tried anything and everything because it was his son that was sick. He came to him honestly, and that's what we should do also. I've never been impressed with Mass, and I'm not talking about uh, the Mass that we're now... or now or weeks ago i don't even know what the deal is anymore but um, i've never been impressed with the mask that we sometimes wear to show that we're different than we are i really don't even know why we and i say we because there's times where i deal with this but i don't know why we have so much fear of man we put on a, a mask and act like we believe things that we really don't we act like we are rock steady spiritually And I'm guilty of this at times too. A lot of times I think that I have all the tools to fix life's issues. And truthfully, I don't. I remember as a kid, and actually now um, in ways, I like to hold my flashlight for my dad. I like to hold the flashlight. We like to work on things. Maybe it's not as often as what we used to, but don't get me wrong. I know my way around most handyman things but there's times where I like to just sit back and hold the flashlight. Um, He'll sometimes ask for a tool, and I'll get it, and just stand there, and we'll have a conversation. But mainly, I just hold the light. And I was thinking of how that illustration is exactly how I treat Jesus sometimes, except in the opposite. I'm working on something, and I just need him to grab me the tools every once in a while and hold the flashlight while I try to fix this problem. That's, that's not how it's supposed to be, though, because truthfully, we, we don't have all the tools to fix everything. We do need Jesus' help. And then the third thing is Jesus is okay with you being honest about your doubts. And verse 25 of Mark 9, it says, When Jesus saw that a crowd was quick, quickly gathering, he be, rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. You notice that Jesus didn't get angry with the Father for having doubts. He didn't get angry that he didn't immediately have his faith 100% in Jesus. And actually, instead, he rebuked the demon and commanded it to leave. So we we can go to God with our doubts. We can go to him with our troubles, our confusions. I would go as far to say that that's exactly what he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to go around acting like we know everything or acting like our faith is, is so secure in every bit of doctrine um, that's presented to us. He doesn't want us to hide our problems with Him either. The Holy Spirit is truly the one who can lead us and answer and give us those answers that we seek. So here's three things that I would like you to do. I don't know if any of you have pens or not on you. Um, that's okay if you want to just write them down in your memory or use an app or something. I want you to write down the doubts that you have. Be totally honest with them. It could be big things. It could be things like, you know, I, I, be, I don't know if God created this earth. I don't know if Jesus was truly um, God also. I, I don't care what it is. Whatever your doubts are, write them down. Because if you don't write them down and address them, you're never going to have your answers. So begin to search for those answers too. Don't just let them go. Don't just dismiss them and go on and do church and try to live the Christian life without having those answers. So pray, also pray for God's help with your doubts. The reason I say pray for help with those doubts is because that's exactly what the Father did. He said, I do believe, and again, I gave the context of why do you think he wanted to believe? Because he wanted to believe that Jesus was truly the healer that would heal his son. So he wanted to believe, and I believe a lot of us want to believe those doubts that we have. And the Holy Spirit will help us with that. It will give us guidance um, and give us those convictions, and I believe the scriptures will also provide answers that we need. And then the third thing is I hope that you guys have people you can go to to talk with and pray with um, that are your, your inner circle. Again, having an inner circle is biblical. It's something that we should all do. And that could, be, that could be a spouse. That could be a parent. That could be a very close friend. But having someone that you can truly go to and share those doubts with them. I realize that coming to church, you're probably not likely to share every doubt that you have. I know that can be uncomfortable. Or maybe you're, again, worried about, maybe they'll think of less of you because you didn't have 100% conviction about every single thing that we teach as a church. And I want to make sure that you know that um, you can reach out to me, and I'm sure Pastor Sam would say the same thing. If you have questions, if you have doubts about anything, you can, you can come to us. And I may, I'm never going to claim to know all the answers. But I, I will be with you, I'll pray with you, and definitely be there to search those answers with you. So I hope you leave here today knowing that it is okay to be honest that you may have doubts, because that's exactly how this father approached Jesus. So knowing that God is okay with you sharing that, being open about it. So Jesus wants you to come as you are, he wants you to come to him just as you are, and being open to him, and he desires a relationship with you more than anything. So, before I pray, I, I just want to re- reiterate that uh, we are here for you um, as pastors, and that also as as your friend. I'm not going to judge you if you come to me with something that you have doubts with, because there, truthfully, there there may come a day where I'm not a pastor, or maybe. I'm not at this church or something, but I hope all of you know that I'm your friend at the very least, and you can come to me. So if you would, pray with me, and then uh, when I'm finished praying, they're going to have a closing song, and then, uh, again, look for an update on our church services, and if they'll be outside or indoors here soon. God, I thank you for your, your, your word. I thank you for the truth in it, I thank you that I, I was able to come to you with some big questions as a young adult. Some big questions that I'm more sure of now than ever because I did come to you and, and give those questions to you. But God, that doesn't, it doesn't end there. I, I still need your help. I still need the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would do that for all of us where our faith lacks, help that. I pray for your help with it. I pray that you help us be followers of you and and live the Christ life and that we would surrender to you and and truly give up everything that we desire to do in our flesh. God, I I just thank you so much for yourself, that you forgave us of our sins, and there's no sin too great that you couldn't have mercy on. And I pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.